The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are again, another week for the books. Yes, this is episode number 31, and this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. And before we know it, we're going to be at 52, and we'll we'll have been doing this for a year. I know, right? It's coming up very soon, and I'm very excited about it. Because I hope that with every one of these episodes, we reach somebody or change somebody's life or give someone the ability to discuss with their loved one the, what the pink elephant in the room is. Like there's an addiction here and now I have the ability to go talk to them about it and actually do something, which is my hope for the people that are listening. Exactly. Well, I think that that does happen. I think that we may not always know right away, but I – with over like close to 3,600 downloads, there've got to be some people that are actually reaching back. So I think that's very cool. I think it's very cool too. And I know I brought this up, I think last episode or the one before that, but I started talking about the holidays coming up. You know, the holiday season is upon us. I mean, we have Thanksgiving in less than two weeks. And, you know, every year, this is what I end up doing. I end up sitting down and I always spend Thanksgiving at the center because When I was a student on the program, there were people that stayed there with us, so we didn't feel completely alone. So I do that for the people that we have. I think that's great. And of course, you know, our family's coming too, so I think it'll be good. I think so too. But, you know, when every year I have this thought of how many addicts are out there right now shivering in the cold, struggling with their addiction, totally estranged from their family. And have nowhere to go. And, you know, those are the people I want to help. Those are the people I hope to drive into treatment because that's a stark reality. That every year that is that, there is that person. There's that family that is trying just to hold it together through the holidays with, you know, their son or daughter or mom or dad or whomever the addict is and just get through it. And then after the holidays, they can send them to rehab and hopefully sort things out. And that is the biggest crock that I hear every year is that people are like, well, we just want to wait till after the holidays. We want to wait till, you know, so little Joey can spend, you know, one of the last, you know, Thanksgivings with his grandmother and he can be here with the family. And I keep, I always tell people the thought of your addicted loved one actually being present with the family is like, it's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. Because just because it's the holidays doesn't mean their addiction is going to go away temporarily and that they're not going to be completely out of their minds and they're not going to be, you know, acting ridiculous and leaving the house and doing shady things. And, you know, every year there are families that have to deal with the fact that a loved one overdosed in the bathroom as mom and dad carved the turkey. Exactly. And you've made that point so many times. And I hope over and over again that people listen to what you're saying because. Addiction doesn't take a holiday. Addiction doesn't stop just because it's Christmas or stop just because, you know, it's Hanukkah or or Kwanzaa or what have you. I mean, addiction's going to keep going. They're not going to just put it on pause and say, oh, okay, I won't do heroin during Christmas. Right. I'm going to take the time. It's a a religious holiday. I'm going to take that off. It doesn't happen. It's, It's... it's a, it's a, it's like a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a romantic notion that families have. But if I can just impart any advice on anyone listening, it's like get your loved one into treatment now because it's better that you go through the holidays knowing that they're safe somewhere and not causing chaos, wheeling and dealing, running around and doing the things that they do. And you all can actually have 
a good Thanksgiving and a good Christmas and knowing your loved one is, you know, on the road to recovery. So, you know, something I wanted to talk about uh, today was just the the state of affairs with the epidemics as we know them. Um, and I know I've talked about this before, but there's three epidemics happening right now. It's not just one anymore. You know, we've got the opiate epidemic, which is spinning around like a little hurricane over here. We've got the methamphetamine epidemic spinning around very close to the opiate epidemic. And we've got the benzodiazepine epidemic spinning underneath it. And there's this weird little trifecta happening. Um, and what's going on now is that we have more people now than ever who are using IV drugs, who are, who are taking their drugs intravenously, which means they're shooting them. And, you know, that's the, that's the rabbit hole that every addict says, I'm never going to go down that. Um, and I was one of those addicts, you know, I never shot up. And then, you know, as your addiction progresses, your need for the drug progresses. And so the little bits that you used to do no longer work. So you need more and more and more. But then you need to find a way to make your high stronger. Um, and the way you get the strongest high is through shooting it up, unfortunately. And so most addicts will eventually graduate to that if they stay addicted long enough. So it's like you know, you don't have many people that come to rehab. They're like, yeah, I just swallowed and snorted pills the whole time. It's like most of the time they swallowed and snorted pills. And then one day someone said, hey, why don't you try shooting it? And then it was game over. Right. Um, and after you start shooting drugs, you go into a different world. You, it's not like the nice little innocent world of popping pills at a party. It's It takes you to like a really dark kind of psychotic place where drug use went from being fun and social to being terrible, dark, depressing by yourself with the shit with the blinds drawn two o'clock in the in the afternoon on a sunny day in a completely dark room trying to hide yourself from the world. And so – because heroin is so prevalent and now we're at the point where dealers aren't even selling heroin anymore. They're just selling pure fentanyl and people are getting hooked left and right. And also most people that use meth either smoke it or shoot it. And so we have more people now than ever who are IV drug users, which carries its own risks. Right. You know, when people are addicted to drugs – Health and hygiene are not on the top of their priority list. I mean most people who are addicted to drugs are are just more interested uh, in maintaining their high, keeping themselves from going through withdrawal. And if they start to come down or get dope sick, they need to find a way to get more drugs. And if they run out of money, try to find a way to make money to get drugs. Exactly. I was just going to say, and I don't think they take the time to sterilize the needles. No, they don't take time to sterilize the needles. And a lot of the time – Take an addict who's in the middle of withdrawal. Like they're they are kicking, they are sick, they're throwing up, they have diarrhea, their legs are you know shaking and kicking, um, they're hot and cold sweats, and they go to their dealer's house and um, they finally they finally scrounged up enough money to get a twenty bag, and their hands are trembling as they're handing the money over to the dealer, um, and the first thing they want to do when the dealer gives them their bag is to get that drug in their system as soon as possible. Right. Right. Now, how how many addicts do you think are going to turn down a used needle at that point? Uh, none. If they don't have a needle and they go to the dealer's house and their trembling hands hand over $20 and receive a $20 bag of heroin and there's two guys on a couch in the house that both just shot up and you don't have a fresh needle but they offer you theirs, most people in that desperate state are going to take a used needle. Right. 
That's how, e- that's how easy it is to share a needle. And you don't really care what those people have. You might take some time and do some weird things or rinsing it out or doing whatever. But, I mean, I don't think most people would. Some people do. Most people don't. That's the thing. And most people won't think twice about saying, yeah, sure, just give it to me. You might think two seconds I shouldn't do this, but then you don't care because you're so dope sick. You're so desperate for that rush. You're so desperate for that high that you'll follow – it's called following someone on a needle. That means that they just shot up and their blood is most likely still in the syringe and then you'll mix yours with theirs and shoot your drugs too. Gives me the willies. Yeah, it gives me the willies too, but I can't say I haven't done it. Ah. <laughs> a lot of what I talk about is from my firsthand experience. I know that. And, you know – Unfortunately, I had to go through that, but fortunately enough, I never contracted any diseases, yep. um, and I uh, I got very lucky. And I also can use this experience to help other people because I have a perspective of like I've been in a dope trap, I've been in a dope hole, I've been through withdrawal, I've done all that. Right. And it gives me a level of empathy for other people. But you know, regardless, so that's all it takes to share a needle. Now, addicts. More than likely, they can barely afford their habit. I mean, they can barely afford a $20 bag of dope, never mind I didn't have a health insurance policy. You know, most uh, most people's parents are not like – most people's parents are not going to foot the bill for absolutely everything. And they'll pay for some things, but health insurance seems to be one of those things that most addicts go without. And the unfortunate part is that in most states, and just because you're an addict and you're unemployed, it doesn't make you eligible for Medicaid. Right. So most addicts have zero health insurance. Now, with all these people using drugs, having a risky lifestyle just associated with their drug use, more than likely sharing needles, having unprotected sex, um, you know, having tons of risky, you know, sexual practices as well as not having health insurance and not really paying super close attention to their hygiene in general. I mean, right now what's happening is that hospitals are being completely inundated with disease-ridden addicts. Right. And what's happening is all these addicts are spreading diseases to and from each other and to the point where it's overwhelming hospitals across the nation. And what happens is that most of these people, these addicts, go into the hospitals with no health insurance and they're having things like infectious endocarditis, right. which is uh, an infection in the heart valves, right. which is a bacterial infection. There's hepatitis C. There's MRSA. There's uh, HIV and AIDS. What's MRSA? I mean, there's a whole- What's that? MRSA is um, it's a type of antibiotic-resistant bacteria that – People will actually lose their limbs from. Oh, great! It's very it's very commonly spread inside hospitals, but it's also very commonly spread amongst addicts. And it's a type of uh, it's a type of infection that's very very antibiotic resistant, and so it's very hard to get rid of. And what ends up happening is that people end up losing you know big chunks of their flesh, or they can lose limbs, and it's highly 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 contagious. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's really terrible, and. Um, they're all go. These addicts are going into these hospitals with these problems, and who do you think's footing the bill for that? We are. Yeah, I mean, your average taxpayer is, and the hospital is. I mean, there was a Jackson Memorial Hospital, which is a big hospital in Miami, estimated that they spend as a hospital about eleven million each year treating uh, infections of IV drug users. Wow, that's one hospital in one city. 
It's amazing. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, but that's the reality is that, you know, because the epidemic is, is so full force. The fact that we've got two other epidemics on top of the main opiate epidemic and you've got all these addicts who are using no health insurance, you know, you know, having pretty lackadaisical judgments on things because their priorities are getting high and it's causing hospitals and taxpayers millions of dollars a year to treat these to treat these addicts because no one else is going to. And it's a really sad thing. Yes. And, you know, I want to I want to make a point, Jason, and because people who are listening, if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to be an addict, you need to understand that Jason has been there. Jason is not speaking out of a textbook. Jason has been there and Jason has gone through all of this. And if you're a parent or a loved one of an addict, same thing. Jason knows from whence he speaks. And confronting addiction when it involves someone that is close to you is not an easy thing to do, but you have to do it. These, these diseases that he's talking about, they actually happen. And you may think the same way that you thought addiction would never happen to your loved one. You may think that these horrible diseases can't happen to your loved one and they can, and you need to understand that. You know, I just think so often, Jason, that loved ones, they just, they can't really confront exactly what's going on. Do you know, I remember when we interviewed your mom and dad and your dad was fully aware that you were an addict and your mother was somewhat in denial about it. So I want to speak to people out there who are in denial. You need to, you need to get real and you need to confront this. It's not pretty, but it's not going to go away. That's true. And you know, I don't know you know, a lot of people call it denial. I, I think it's just an unwillingness to accept what is. But that's what denial is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah, it's the same thing. Well, I mean, I think a lot of parents, they know they're addicts addicted, but they don't really want to find out too much or actually know for sure because that's life-changing for everybody. And the level of confront and the ability to deal with these things is low in some people. And for some parents, I know for my mother, the day she admitted to herself and realized like, hey, he's got a major problem. And yeah, all the money I'm giving him is going to drugs and all this help we're giving him is fueling his drug addiction. It just it's it's life altering. It's life changing. And then that forces you to have to deal with it. That's right. That's my point. You know, it's like the point at which your mother finally realized that she was enabling you, as you have said many times, and that was because your parents found the group Learn to Cope, that that was right. a turning point. It was a turning point in your addiction was when that they had, they made that connection with Learn to Cope and your mother had that realization, which I think it's, I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah. And I credit that group to saving my life actually. Right. Because- had my parents not learned what they learned through them, we would have kept doing the same thing that wasn't working, and I may have ended up dead. Right. Who knows? Who knows? There's definitely times I should have died. You know, I, it's sometimes I will sit here and think about some of the things I witnessed or saw or went through or dealt with in my addiction, and it's like, wow, I am extremely lucky. Exactly. <laughs> to still be, to still be here breathing and to tell the tale because you know. I'm a straight. I was a straight-laced kid from a good family. Um, 
in, in a pretty, you know, upstanding neighborhood. And I was in the ghettos. I was in the trap houses. I was completely out of my element, and it was very obvious. And, um, you know, it's like I'm lucky I didn't get killed. And, you know, it's funny. When I, when I would go to all those uh, quote-unquote traditional rehabs at the beginning of my attempting to get sober, right. there was something that I struggled with that was being told to me. And so I want to I want to talk to you about this. I, I want to get your take on it, actually. Um, it's the concept of powerlessness. Okay. Now you've got two opposing viewpoints here when it comes to addiction. You've got your traditional treatment. You've got your traditional rehab that one of their tenants is you're powerless over your addiction. And the first step in your recovery has to be you admitting that to yourself, to your higher power, and I think there's somebody else that you have to really, really, truly understand the fact that you are completely and utterly powerless over all these circumstances, over whether or not you use drugs, over addiction. And then you've got other viewpoints, right? right. Which you know tons about and I know tons about. That's Narconon's viewpoint. And that's the complete and polar opposite. And th this is a discussion that ends up getting – it ends up getting done on my blogs because you've got groups of people who are big into 12-step recovery who believe you're completely powerless in your disease. And you've got these other people who believe in what we believe in is that it's not a disease. You're not powerless. You're actually the only person who can inevitably control whether or not you use drugs. And everyone starts arguing with each other. <laughs> I see it on, the, on my Facebook post that people start arguing with each other. And, you know, I think it's an interesting concept to think about because, you know, you've got this this main type of rehab, which is funded by the government, which is paid for by most health insurances, which is seen as the gold standard by the American Medical Association of how to deal with addiction. And that's basically you have, you have no control over it. So you might as well roll over and die. That's what my brain says. Well, and that's the whole point. I mean, if, if, if you believe in your heart of hearts that you have no control of your addiction and that you cannot, in fact, get better, then what's the point? Why even do rehab? And to me, the proof is in the pudding, Jason. What was the figure you gave me when we talked last week? I think it was 79% of, of the people who have come through Narconon have gotten clean and stayed clean. And that, that's the proof in the pudding. And Narconon has a completely different take on it that you have mentioned many times. You don't have a disease. You are not powerless. You have made bad choices. You have made bad choices. And if you have made bad choices, you can make good choices. And that puts the power right back in the individual. And I think the more you tell somebody he is effect and not cause, you set him up for failure. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, it's funny because I'll talk to people that – I do the intakes at the center. And so you know, people come in. They're a little scared, a little nervous. They want to know maybe just a little bit more. They might have some questions. And I'll sit down and a lot of them are upset. You know, They come in. They're shook. They're, you know, their family's ripped apart. Their whole lives have been ripped out from underneath them. Um, and as they're sitting there just a mess, 
on one side of the desk. I sit on the other side of the desk and I'll, I'll, I'll calm them down a little bit and I'll look them right in the eye and I'll say, look, no one's probably ever said this to you. So maybe I can be the first person to tell you, but there's nothing wrong with you. There is made some bad choices, but you're not diseased. You're not, you know, permanently an addict. And there's really with you as a as a person, there's nothing wrong with you. You've got you've got your own issues that you need to deal with. And, you know, we're going to deal with that here. And most of these people will brighten up immediately because so many times they've gone into rehab and been told, yeah, it's, I mean, it's your disease, man. You know, it's nothing you can really do. Uh um, I'm, I, yeah, I know I, you just left here, you know, 20 days ago and this is your seventh time through, but you know, we'll get it this time. You know, maybe you just really didn't get right with your higher power or maybe you didn't, you know, do 90 meetings in 90 days, or maybe you really didn't admit how powerless you are. Uh, and I have to sit there across the desk and kind of undo that a little bit because they're so beaten by, by their addiction that they start to believe they are completely powerless. But when I, if I feel completely powerless over something, I'm going to stop trying. Exactly. It's a great, it's a great cop out. You know what I mean? I'm just going to stop trying because if I, if this is pushing me, Hey man, there's nothing you can do about it. Hey man, there's nothing you can do about it. You're completely powerless. You're completely powerless. One day I'm going to throw my hands up and say, okay, cool. I'm not trying this anymore. Exactly. Because I'll just keep doing drugs. Yeah. If I'm completely powerless, what, what am I? What's what is the point of rehab? What's the point? Why am Why I even do it? Why am I sitting here in group trying to process out and blame my addiction on my dad who yelled at me at Disney World when I was seven? Exactly. I don't. It's it's it, it doesn't make sense to me. So I always thought about this. Like, what's the point of rehab if you're powerless over addiction? There's nothing you can do about it. And realistically, you just have to kind of take your meds and go home. Right. I would bet I would bet that the majority of people when you when they come to Narcanon and you give them that spiel, I would bet that for the majority of people it is a huge relief. It's a huge responsibility because I remember when we were talking to Derek and how Derek's mom kept saying you need to do Narcanon, he kept saying no, no, no. And I remember asking him, was it because you knew if you went to Narcanon you were really going to have to take responsibility for getting to the bottom of your addiction and he admitted that 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 was probably the case. So, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because if you're not willing to take responsibility, great, then go down the road of the 20 the 12 step program and say, I'm not responsible. I'm just, you know, I'm just sick. I have a disease. But I think that most people, when given the choice, you know, would you like to be responsible for your own existence and your own future? Or would you not? I think most people are going to say, I want it. I want that responsibility. Yeah, most people and people should. And if you don't take that responsibility, you're probably going to die an addict. Exactly. Because that's, that's the, that's the thing though. That's the thing that people don't realize is that it's not that a person is powerless over their addiction. It's not the fact that they're diseased. The person made a choice initially to try drugs. If this person had never tried drugs ever, this quote unquote disease would never have shown up. Right. So you weren't they born with it. You're not born an addict unless your your mother was an addict and there are babies who are born addicts, but typically that's not the case. But that's physical addiction. Exactly. That's being physically dependent. Like when a kid's born, when they say kids are born addicts, it's like I get the idea that lots of moms are using heroin while they're pregnant 
and the kid's born addicted to drugs, quote unquote. But that addiction means they're physically dependent on it. So yeah, a little a little newborn baby is going to go through drug withdrawal. That's right, and the but baby's that's, not that's, trying to get high. The baby is yeah, the physically not, addicted. Uh, yeah, the baby is not going to hop up out of the incubator one day and try to run down the street and go get dope. Right. It's serious. I mean, people take this, you know, born addicted too far. Oh, you're genetically predisposed. Um, okay. And we've heard uh, that. We've heard that on the podcast. And, yeah. you know, I just, I don't, I think to, to, to a little bit of a degree, it's a cop out. You know, here's what I think. I don't think people are born with the mental addiction or the, the genetics to be, you know, to be an addict. I don't either. I don't believe that you're born with this predisposition, this predisposition to become an addict because you make that decision to try drugs the first time. Now, when you try drugs that first time, there's a 50-50 shot, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to think that this is the end-all, be-all, and you found the answer to all your problems, or you're going to say, okay, well, I didn't like that, and, or that was fun, well, I'm not going to do that again, and walk away from it. Now, the latter is going to most likely become addicted, and what I tell people is, is this. Nobody is born an addict. People learn how to become addicts. Right. You learn how to become an addict because – all the things that go around with being addicted are all mechanism are all mechanisms for survival as an addict. Right. You're not born with this predisposition to lie to your family. You're not born with this predisposition to do all the heinous things that addicts will do in the name of getting high. You learn how to do that. Right. And you also learn how to do drugs. And you also, by trial and error, will learn which is you're gonna be your drug of choice. Exactly. You're not just born into this with this just genetic thing that turns on one day, and before you know it, you're a straight, you're a, you're a good kid doing well in life, and you know within 24 hours you're shooting dope in your parents' bathroom. It doesn't work like that. People learn how to become addicts. No one is born with this uh, just as like this predisposition to become addicted because if people don't ever try drugs in the first place, they're not going to become addicted. That's one thing, right? The other thing is that a person has to learn throughout parts of their life that there's things they're not happy with. There's things they can't handle about life. There's issues that come up. And for those to be happening at the same time that they try a specific drug and it's game over. But you learn those things. Exactly. And you learn them from other addicts. You learn them from your own trial and error. You're not born that way. That's right. And so this whole idea – of powerlessness is like, how can I be powerless over a condition that I created? Right. That's the part that that's, that's like the illogical part of all of it. Well, it's a it, lie. It's an actual it, lie. I, I mean, I don't know what else to call it. It's like a person creates their own addiction. That's right. So if you can create it, why can't you can, why can't you, why are you powerless over it? Exactly. But, but as we know with Narcanon, you know, if you're going through, uh, withdraw and you're being given another drug to substitute for your drug, drug that you're addicted to, that's not going to work. And if you don't go through a sauna detox and really get all of the drugs out of your system, you're going to have trouble down the line. So the, the point that we say, or the point that we make is that, you know, you need to check out Narcanon there's a reason why Narcanon has a 79% success rate. It's not luck. It's not chance. It's because of an exact technology that gets people off of drugs and alcohol. 
Yeah, uh, and to this date, I have I've yet to see a program as effective uh, as Narcanon. But it's funny you brought up the uh, that we don't do we don't do the drug replacement therapy. And right now, a question is we don't give people a drug to get them off a drug because, like, what's the point? You're still on drugs. I like medical detox. Is that what that's called? Or medically Uh, assisted? Medically assisted treatment. Medically assisted treatment. Or medicine assisted treatment. But it's called MAT for short. And basically, it's the idea that, okay, so you're on this drug. So we're just going to take you off this drug and put you on another drug and you should be fine. And people are like, oh, that sounds great. And it's like, wait a second. Man, you're you're still on drugs. <laughs> you're still on drugs. You just you didn't progress. You didn't change anything. You just changed the brand name of drug you're on. Right now, you're on a legal one instead of an illegal one. Or some people go on to Suboxone who are addicted to uh, oxycodone. And what's the freaking point? Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even get. I, I personally don't even get that one. Yeah, I can sort of wrap my brain around. Okay, you're a heroin addict, so we're gonna put you on this more controlled drug that you're gonna get from a pharmacy instead of you know the dude on the street that makes more sense to me than people going on to suboxone from vicodin or dilaudid or oxycodone it's like either way like you're still on a drug like what's the it doesn't even make sense and you know something that people ask me i love to ask me currently is oh jason what do you think about kratom Um, oh yeah Okay. <laughs> We've you, talked about that. Have, Let's talk about it again. <laughs> do you have three hours? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, right now, I mean, Kratom is still a thing. It's still like this thing that people are talking about. And, you know, it's like the end all be all. It's our newest miracle cure. And I got to tell people, you got to be really careful about anything that poses itself as a miracle cure for addiction, because realistically, there's no miracle cure for addiction. It doesn't exist. That's right. If it's too to be true, it probably is. And, you know, people are like, well, I can just take Kratom, which is natural, and then I'll be fine. I'm like, hey, well, you know that technically heroin is natural, right? Yeah. <laughs> Marijuana, so, same. I, I always tell people just because it's natural and just because you found it, on a health food website or a health food store, it doesn't mean it's automatically good for you. Right. There's tons of things in health food stores that are not good for you. That's right. It's always like buyer beware. You got to be careful about what you buy. And, you know, I feel like it's an American thing. It's like a Western society thing that we want to try to find like the easiest way out of something and do as little work possible to get there. Well, obviously. And Kratom is just like one of those things that, that that type of mentality is created. That's right. Let me let, let me do as little work as possible. Let me find an easy way out. And I can just, you know, take these little capsules and be fine. It's like, oh, no, no. I mean, because the drug use is a symptom of bigger problems. You, you've got bigger problems that need to get dealt with. If you just switch to Kratom... You haven't dealt with those problems at all. You've just substituted one substance for another. You didn't deal with anything. Yeah. You dealt with nothing. You you just took another easy way out. And for a lot of people, you know, drugs were an easy way out of something at one point. Right. Right. And so it's that kind of mentality that's dangerous. It's that kind of mentality that gets us in trouble because that's the type of mentality that gets us into drugs. Right. That's right. So. I don't know. I, I I I know I've talked about Kratom a few times. I'm not going to go on a whole tirade like I like to do about it. 
But I just got to tell people if you're thinking about if you're thinking about taking kratom, you need to think again because it's unregulated. You don't know where you're getting. You don't know where you're getting it from. There's been tons of weird stories of people having like multi-systemic organ failure from it. Not saying that's going to happen to everybody, but it, I mean, there's documented stuff. It's out there, and you have to be careful careful about what you put in your body. And if you you feel like you need to get off the drugs you're taking, the answer is just getting off everything. Right. Because there's no drug that's going to handle another drug that's going to handle another drug that's going to handle another drug because you're just going to end up staying on drugs. Exactly. So if you want to take Kratom, just call us. Yep. Yep, exactly. Just call us because there's you've got bigger fish to fry. Right. <laughs> right. Um, there's no easy way out of addiction. And that's not to say that it has to be painful and it has to be like – super um, arduous, if you will, but there's no real easy way out. And even the Narconon program is not a walk in the park. You still have to do withdrawal, but it's drug-free withdrawal and it's assisted withdrawal. So you have people there who've been through it, know what you're going through to help you go through it. And then you, same thing with the sauna detox. You don't do it by yourself. There's people with you who've been there, who've done it, who understand what you're going through. And then yeah, you're going to have to confront the reasons why you got on drugs in the first place. But if you don't do that, you're, you are going to continue to be an addict anyway. So you have to do that. You have to do all of those steps. You didn't, you made bad decisions to, to get on drugs. And there was something in your life that predisposed you to making those decisions. And so you have to actually confront what that was and address it, whether it's a family relationship or a self-esteem issue or whatever it might be, you're ultimately going to have to confront that problem. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we've got our doors open to do that. And so this holiday season, if you find yourself or a loved one is in a pretty bad spot, just call us and actually enjoy your holidays and actually enjoy your Christmas, actually enjoy your Thanksgiving or your Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or whatever you celebrate out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, I, you know, now is the time to deal with it. Anytime is the time to deal with it. But, but now more than ever, yep. is the holidays an excuse to put them in treatment and not to prevent them from going to treatment? I think that's really, I, that's really the point. It's like if you're listening and either you're an addict and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to confront it till the new year or you're a family member or loved one of an addict and you're saying, we really want to have them around. There's no better gift you can give someone than life. And that's what happens at Narconon. When you get, someone goes through the program and they get off the drugs and they confront their life and sort out their life. What better gift is that? And you can visit them at Narconon. Um, you told me, Jason, there's going to be a lot of families there at Thanksgiving, and I'm excited um, to to be there. And we're bringing our son and his wife. And, you know, I think I think it's going to be great. And I think, um, you know, do it now. Don't wait, everybody. If you're listening, you need to do it now. You can call now. And um, we're here. And we'll be here all, we'll be here all, all holiday season long. And so just give us a call. And... Um, Let's have another good week out there. Yes, and we'll keep podcasting because we want you to get better and we want your loved ones to get help. There is help. There is hope. It exists at Narcan on Suncoast. 
you just need to call or go to the website, narganonsuncoast.org. So Jason, we'll talk again next week and I think we'll have an interview and that'll be good. Yes. I want to bring on uh, one of our staff members and uh, have him tell his story. I like it. All right. Have a good week, Jason. You too, Joni. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 